Welcome to the podcast for Epworth United Methodist Church in Berkeley, California. Our podcast blends a taste of the music that we experience here in worship on Sunday mornings, along with the scripture reading and a message. We would love for you to take a next step in growing in faith in this community. If you are here in Berkeley, Epworth's worship is at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings at 1953 Hopkins on the corner of Napa and Hopkins. Or if you connect with our podcast from further away, we would invite you to visit our website, epworthberkeley.org. We'd invite you to keep seeking to grow in faith and to stop by the next time you're in Berkeley. Today's scripture comes from the book of Psalms, chapter 23, the divine shepherd, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Holy wisdom, holy words. As I was preparing to preach this week, I considered the prevailing politics of Epworth, and I wondered how I might preach a Veterans Day sermon to... (laughs) 
a congregation that surely includes Berkeleyite pacifists. First rule of public speaking is to know your audience. And the scripture that came to my mind was Psalm 23. And I imagine most of us can recite this poem from from memory. Our grandparents might have read it to us, and even if we didn't grow up in the Christian tradition, surely we heard it at almost every funeral we've ever been to. Maybe we've even found the words on our lips in a moment of grief or trouble, an hour of crisis. In that way, the 23rd Psalm, I think, is the Protestant version of the Hail Mary. It begs to be read out loud in King James English, if you will. Its words are comforting. The the Lord is my shepherd, but it's become unfashionable to be a sheep. And... uh, And in earlier days, that line, I shall not want, was understood to mean my need will be supplied. While this generation of Americans might want to consider I shall not want as a new social creed. The fight against consumerism that's instilled in us. And I wonder what would happen if the U.S. Treasury replaced in God we trust with I shall not want. It might bring our economy to a screeching halt. The psalm continues, still waters, the restoration of the soul. But when we get to the dark valley of the shadow of death, notice how the voice changes. It transitions from being a psalm about God to being a psalm to God. From he leadeth me to I will fear not for you are with me. Many of us have had that dark valley experience and some people are living in the valley of the shadow of death every day. Thou art with me. And it's here we find the most jarring and probably the most overlooked part of this scripture. Thou preparest a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. Who are our enemies? We might prefer to think we don't have enemies. Either personally or as the people of God in the world, we prefer to imagine that we are at peace with the world or at best we are peacemakers in the world. I think those are aspirational ideas. And we might move ahead to say, well, we have enemies, but we love them. (laughs) That too is challenging. Perhaps we identify those of a different social or political or theological persuasion as our enemies. And then we set ourselves in a struggle to love them and often fail to love those even in our own church and communities and families who set themselves up as our enemies or who declare that we are their enemies and we fail to love them. And I hear rhetoric all the time from progressives and conservatives, a false kind of love that says, I'm right and you're wrong, but, and you're my enemy, but I love you anyway. That too is aspirational. Theologian Stanley Hauerwas, one of my favorite uh, thinkers and theologians says, most of us do not go to church because we're seeking a haven from our enemies. We go to church to be assured that we don't have enemies. We've bought into the misconception that a good church is one without conflict. Well, we know that is not true. Um, Throughout these psalms, there are references to enemies, sometimes very brutal and and, uh, bloodied references to enemies. The psalmist asks God to destroy his enemies. And as progressive Christians and as a progressive Preacher, I work extra hard 
theologically to confront those embarrassing biblical texts as primitive beliefs. We'd rather say it's, it's not true anymore that we have enemies. We'd rather say that than to wrestle with the reality that enemies of the good news are all around us. We do have enemies. St. Paul called them powers and principalities. There's people out there probably saying, don't bring Paul into a sermon about the Psalms. But there he is. <laughs> Who is the enemy of the church? Who's the enemy of the body of Jesus Christ in the world? It may be the same enemies that he faced down in his life and ministry. Corrupt faith leaders, those getting rich from the church industrial complex. Maybe the arrogance of the state that foments selfishness and greed and war. And these are undeniable enemies of the Christian message. At its beginning, Christianity was perceived as a threat to the empire. But I heard a pastor say recently, when Caesar becomes a member of the church, the enemy is internalized. The church is no longer seen as a threat to the political order. And that happened in the fourth century when Emperor Constantine converted to Christianity and made it the state religion. And what naturally follows is when an enemy is internalized is that our preachers and our churches begin to preach against our Christian interests in the kingdom of God, preaching wealth and individualism and if not advocating for war, certainly by and large failing to preach against it. Two years ago when Trump spoke at a Values Voters Summit, a gathering of religious conservatives, one journalist referred to him as a thrice-married billionaire and former casino operator. Trump said, in this administration, we will call evil by its name, and talked with no sense of irony about peace and wealth. One of the summit attendees was interviewed and said, if Twitter had existed back then, I think that Jesus would have used it like Trump does. His communications in general are, are tactically comparable to Christ, emulating Christ, they said, and went on to say, I don't want to be misinterpreted to say that everything he says is equivalent to the gospel, but I mean he's on the right side. His tactics are reminiscent of Christ. That's right, a self-avowed Christian on record actually comparing Trump to Jesus. What was I saying about Caesar and the church? Thou preparest a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. Now, why might that be? Why might God prepare a table for us in the presence of our enemies? Is it so that we may dine in front of our enemies as they look on, impressed by God's favor upon us? Is it a testament against them? We will eat here in the presence of enemies so that they may know God's got our backs and we ain't afraid. One writer said, God is not the enemy of my enemy. God is not even the enemy of God's enemy. I think one of the biggest challenges in this conversation is that we perceive those who espouse values of our enemy as our enemy themselves. Just because someone is homophobic does not make them my enemy as a gay man. My enemy is the homophobia, not the child of God who espouses it, right? Our enemies are not the soldiers on either side of a conflict. 
but rather the war itself and the industrial complex that props up empire and takes the lives of our poorest and most marginalized young people day after day and year after year. And we may be pacifists who disagree with the US military presence or policy in the world. Does that mean that those who served in good faith and pursuit of peace and those who lost their lives fighting wars they did not choose, do they not deserve our honor and thanks? Our enemies are not the soldiers on either side of a conflict. Our enemy is the evil in the world that foments conflict and division. And likewise, our enemy is not consumerism and capitalism, but rather the forces that colonize our minds, convincing us that there is not another way and that we might deserve more than our neighbor because we've earned it. There's often a theological leap from here to the communion table. But there are some problems with that. Firstly, the communion table is not generally prepared in the presence of our enemies. It is prepared in the confines of our sanctuaries. Secondly, to make that theological leap is to imply that the communion table is for some and not for all. And while that is a value of some faith traditions, it is not a Methodist value. We practice an open table that is where there is room for everyone, every single one. If two soldiers from opposing sides of a military conflict stood before us at the communion table, would we not share the same grace of the same God, the same bread, and the same cup with them? I have to wonder if perhaps God prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies so that we might sit down and dine with them, dining with those who disagree with us. We know a guy who did that kind of change things, you know? If we, we might share our bread with the hungry, even when they believe we are their enemy. A table in the presence of our enemies could change everything. Just like Jesus sitting at the table of the marginalized changed everything, cast a vision of the kingdom, cast a vision of what could be. It could turn the world upside down. Peace might overtake us if we bothered to sit down with people who disagree with us theologically, politically, and in other ways. I know that I was changed in those, in those uh, not so much in the meetings of the commission on the way forward, but in sitting down over lunch with those people, learning more about their stories. People talk differently at the dinner table than they do at the, at the boardroom table, you know? People are more honest and more open more ready to experience the places where we agree, where we are the same, children of God fighting our way forward in this world. Thou preparest a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runs over. I am blessed beyond measure. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Surely I am called to bring goodness and mercy to those in the world around me. Surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely we can turn this world into the house of the Lord, build that kingdom of God where there is room for every single one. May it be so. Oh, I'm seeking My sanctuary, O oh Lord, 
the place in my soul where there is chamber wishing chamber the further in I go the more the space in the room my skills are magnified and mushroom like every point in space expanding so many times I've asked you why have you forsaken me my Lord and you say to my face I'm always with you, walking beside you. It only appears, my son, that I leave you alone. And truth, I'm closer when you are lower and need me and need me the more by this I'm building your sanctuary my son teaching you to serve the way between Love and love and rain. There's a garden there that's beyond compare, full of plants and animals and trees for you to share and find the meaning oh I'm seeking my sanctuary my Lord freely given and received for you, my son, my sanctuary.